On January 6, 2021, chaos erupted in Washington, D.C., but nearly all of the important details of that hours-long melee have been disputed, suppressed, or exploited and twisted for political purposes. Today, I'm talking to one of the best investigative journalists in the business about what he's uncovered regarding January 6th. I'm Paul Dragu, and this is Freedom is the Cure. So we've just passed the one-year anniversary of J6, a day 2,500 Trump supporters breached the Capitol building and tried to destroy democracy. At least that's the story according to congressional Democrats and their cohorts in the regime media apparatus. The version that says that J6 was a full-throated, coordinated attempt by domestic terrorists to overthrow the United States government. But that's certainly not the only version of the story out there. Another narrative says that J6 was primarily the spontaneous result of a mob mentality ruining an otherwise peaceful day. And considering that nearly all charges related to the incident are misdemeanors like trespassing, it is undeniably certain that many people who got caught up in the madness had no no idea how the day would turn out. There's also that pesky FBI report from a few months back that concluded there was no evidence of an organized plot to overturn the election. And then there's what many would consider the most troubling narrative floating about, and that is that J6 had an element to it that heavily implicates agent provocateurs, that United States intelligence agents and informants were heavily responsible for the worst aspects of that incident. William Bill Jasper is a veteran investigative journalist and a senior editor at the New American Magazine. Over the decades, Bill has reported on some of the nation's most complicated and controversial events, including the Oklahoma City bombing. Recently, Bill has been pouring over documents and videos and uh, every tangible thing he could get his hand on regarding the January 6th incident, part of a story that he's working for the New American. Bill, thank you for joining me. My pleasure, Paul. Thank you for having me on. Well, Bill, for a major point of uh, a major point of people that have been denying the insurrection theory has been that it can't be true for the simple uh, for the simple reason that there are no charges to support that narrative. But that kind of changed on January 13, and uh, the government charged Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes, along with ten members of his group, with seditious conspiracy and other offenses related to the U.S. Capitol breach. You wrote an article for TNA titled, Does Charging Oath Keepers with Seditious Conspiracy Save the Insurrection Narrative? Uh, The title and the tone of your article suggests that uh, you were never sold on that narrative. Um, Is that still the case? Well, yes, it is, uh, even more so than uh, it was uh, a year ago. Uh, What uh, we've been looking at and what many other people have been looking at is something that the FBI and the DOJ uh, under Merrick Garland and the newly constituted House Intelligence Committee on January 6th seem to be uh, studiously trying to avoid. And that is they have been uh, very conspicuously refusing to look at or even contemplate that the many uh, people that we see 
uh, at, on January 6th in the, in the videos, there are countless videos, in fact, thousands of hours of, of video that were taken by private citizens as well as by security cameras showing people who were clearly leading this so-called insurrection, this mob on January 6th, and who were the most vocal proponents of, of storming the Capitol, of breaching the barricades, etc., uh, have not been indicted uh, or arrested. And uh, this has led many people to suspect, uh, myself included, that uh, many of the people that we see leading these operations were actually operatives of one kind or another for the federal government, perhaps for the FBI, perhaps for Secret Service, perhaps for other different federal agencies. And either agents themselves or paid informants. And this has been dismissed out of hand by most of the media, uh, by the January 6th committee that Nancy Pelosi set up with total uh, partisan control, uh, and apparently by the FBI and the ATF, because they haven't been indicting these people. Now, some people will say, well, see, the indictment of Stuart Rhodes and the Oath Keepers uh, lays that to rest because uh, these these people now have have been indicted on um, on seditious conspiracy charges. So, uh, in fact, uh, one of the the members of the J six committee, the House committee, Representative Jamie Raskin, said said on CNN, "See, this this proves that uh, uh, that there really was an insurrection because all these people have been charged." Well, we can get into that, but it, it really doesn't change things so far. And in fact, it may actually be that they were charged because the defense attorneys for some of the defendants uh, were, were going to subpoena him to testify, and they suspected that he was a federal agent. So uh, this charging of Stuart Rhodes could actually be interpreted as a way of taking him out of the picture because he's now in federal custody so he couldn't appear at the um, trial or be subpoenaed by or deposition by the by the defense. So there are many things happening here and uh, we can get into the the history of this both recent and more uh, distant in the past, where we have seen key operations like this, where supposed right-wing extremists uh, and uh, anti-government insurrectionists turned out to be federal uh, agent provocateurs and undercover operatives of one kind or another. You've read the indictment, the charging document on Rhodes. What is the government claiming is the basis for these charges? Well, there, there's a lot to, they, they are claiming that they have gone through many hundreds or even thousands of text messages of uh, recordings, their own undercover people making recordings, where Stuart Rhodes and the Oath Keepers were plotting a, an armed insurrection on January 6th. And they show that he and others were uh, meeting in uh, Washington, D.C. and outside of Washington, D.C., and in days and weeks before this, had sent people there to uh, reconnoiter and to uh, scope out the, the area 
to find uh, places where they could stash weapons, things of that sort. And many of these things, even if they prove to be true, would not necessarily result in a conviction for insurrection or even seditious conspiracy. Rhodes and the Oath Keepers claim that they were there you know, uh, on January 5th and January 6th and in and about those, those days to provide security for people involved with the rally, uh, the Stop the Steal rally. Mm. And I have no way of knowing at this point whether that is true or whether there is any uh, truth to the prosecution's claim that, no, this was a seditious conspiracy. But from what is in the charging documents, it is still pretty thin, it seems to me, from a, from a legal perspective. And uh, it, it looks, for, for having had a year to put this together, it looks rather hurried and still uh, unconvincing that these individuals Oath Keepers could have been masterminds or a real uh, mm. threat uh, for insurrection. I mean, an insurrection, uh, here's the most powerful nation in the world. We're going to have a, a handful of guys that are really not uh, top-notch uh, guys. They're going to overthrow the well, government. Well, it's got an eye patch, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, 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 gives, that gives them some gravitas. <laughs> Well, you know, you had mentioned that, I guess, what you're saying is Rhodes' defense or part of his defense is that they were there for for protection or some sort of security. That wouldn't be the first time these militia-type groups have come to events to do exactly that. So that doesn't seem implausible at all. I believe uh, during the, the Ferguson riots, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it was three percenters or whichever militia group, they, but there were those on the ground. And this, this is kind of consistent to what they do, is it not? Well, yes. So, I mean, there uh, are any number of organizations, groups around the country that are loosely referred to as militias or that refer to themselves as militias. And so it is a kind of an all-encompassing term that uh, many different uh, organizations under, and that people on the left refer to as well, anyone who uh, carries a rifle or anytime puts on uh, some camo gear. So, uh, but there, it is true, yes, at a number of events around the country, uh, militias or so-called militias have provided security or have been there in an attempt at, at uh, where riots are taking place or where riots have been planned to provide security uh, so that the Antifa, BLM, et cetera, won't um, mm -hmm. get out of Now, what about, you seem to be under the impression that there's evidence or there's enough to suggest that it's not crazy to think that this was goaded and even supported to some uh, to some degree by agent provocateurs can you were starting to kind of go into that and can can you go into that and and, and especially you know you and i had talked off camera about one ray epps who's been the subject of mm -hmm. a of a two-part investigative series by revolver and whatnot what makes you think that uh that has a serious that it is, it's a serious thing that may have happened yes well revolver has done a really great job of uh getting into this and when you you start looking at an event that was this size involving thousands of participants although uh, we have to keep in mind 
that the way it is being presented in the media is that here there were uh, tens of thousands, probably over 100,000 people at the Stop the Steal rally that President Trump addressed. He was still addressing the group when a smaller subset, a couple thousand people, started making their way down to the Capitol. Of that, uh, several hundred made it inside of the Capitol. And then we look at, uh, and many of them did not break in or anything, they just strolled in and were, you can see on the video, uh, uh, many of them were just uh, chatting with the security, with the Capitol Police, etc. And there was not any real mob uh, action there. But there were a couple of hundred people, perhaps several hundred. They arrested, uh, uh, by this time, over 400, we're told, around the country. Uh, many of them who have been released, many of whom are still mm -hmm. in solitary confinement. Uh, we can go into that uh, later. But... Ray Epps, and of course, he is a central figure in this and in the whole agent provocateur theory. Now, the the media denounces this as a conspiracy theory. Oh, that the government's involved in this. Well, keep in mind that the insurrection theory that is being promoted every day by Nancy Pelosi. By well, let me just read here from Nancy Pelosi. Uh, she, in her statement on January seven. In her January 7 speech, the day after the Capitol riot, she said the president of the United States has incited an armed insurrection. She went on to accuse him again of armed insurrection and of sedition. And she went further and said that all of those Republican congressmen and Trump advisors who were either at the rally or who had in any way undermined our elections by questioning the elections or charging fraud in the elections uh, were enabling sedition. So they're drawing this great big conspiracy theory. What we're saying is that, well, it does appear that there were agent provocateurs who were obviously, or at least, uh, it, seemingly working for the government because they have not been charged. Probably the, the, the chief one that has been pointed to most often and is the most convincing is Ray Epps. He is a retired Marine who lives in Arizona and was president of the Oath Keepers of Arizona, had been involved in Oath Keepers for quite a few years. So the allegation is that he, Ray Epps, is functioning as an agent provocateur. And so you've probably rolled some of the tape uh, showing him on January 5th, the day before the Capitol riot, and on January 6th. He is very much out in front telling everybody, that we've got to go to the Capitol. We've mm -hmm. got to uh, get inside the Capitol. We're probably going to get arrested. But anyway, he's going on and on yeah. about this. And People are getting a little bit uh, worried that he is trying to uh, uh, lead them on. And so you even see on the video, people start going, Fed, Fed, yeah. Fed. Some people uh, spotted him as being a federal agent provocateur. And so we right up at the time uh, where the breach takes place, where they knock over the barricades, who is right in front? It's Ray Epps. Mm -hmm. And he whispers in the ear of one of the other 
people there. And as soon as he does that, that individual knocks over the barricades and in goes all the, uh, all the rest of the crowd. So Ray Epps is someone who has been very much in, in the spotlight. And it's very curious that virtually all the media, if you, you plug into any search engine, Ray Epps, you'll find Revolver and other, The New American, et cetera, pointing to him and asking questions about him, or some of them even charging him with being an agent provocateur. On the other hand, you'll see The New York Times, uh, CNN, et cetera, absolving Ray Epps while they're they're calling for everybody else to be uh, to be crucified. They're saying, no, 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 Ray Epps, nothing here, move along. So, but he's not the only one. Uh, in fact, in some of the footage right there at the barricades, there's another individual who has come under a lot of scrutiny, a ma young man by the name of John Sullivan. He's a black man who has a history with uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa. And he is there with his camera, and he's calling, uh, telling everybody, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he's using lots of profanity and saying, hey, this is, a, this is uh, our stuff here. Let's uh, uh, knock it down, burn it down. And it, he, it even shows him smashing a window and inside the Capitol. And he goes, oh, uh, broke this. Oh, well, it's not on camera. Well, it was on camera. And yet he has been absolved by the media and by the Department of Justice and the FBI. He was, he, like Epps, was on the wanted list, but the FBI wanted list, uh, which has hundreds of, of other January 6th individuals on there, but they've been taken off. And, uh, and they're not the only ones. There are a number of other individuals who haven't been identified yet. And some others who have arrested, uh, like Thomas Caldwell, who appear to be uh, working uh, for some branch of the federal government as well. I've seen uh, quite a few videos, especially the Ray Epps. And I think anybody who would see those videos and would wonder, why hasn't he been picked up? There are so many instances, like you said, it's like, to the Capitol, to the Capitol. And he keeps goading folks to the Capitol. And like you had mentioned, too, it's like even the night before, this was building up. Uh, and so now this isn't this wouldn't be the first time, uh, you know, you've been reporting for so long. You have uh, this wouldn't be the first time when agents have been implicated in uh, in something like this or like it now, there's a case pending the gretchen whitmer kidnapping and that seems to have a lot of the same uh some of the same themes here are there any connections between the agents uh allegedly involved in that and this well uh, that is a prime case uh here because i believe that it was not only connected to it, it was the trial run. Now remember, so for those who haven't been following it, uh, in October of 2020, very dramatic announcement, just a couple of weeks before the November elections. Uh, interesting timing. Uh, right before the elections, uh, the FBI and Department of Justice announced this very dramatic arrest. They arrested six men uh, of a so-called militia group called the Michigan Watchmen. And these six men, we were told, 
had planned to arrest, or rather to kidnap, they, they say arrest the, uh, the, the watchman, but they were going to kidnap Gretchen Whit Whitner, the governor of Michigan, liberal lefty governor who had uh, enraged a lot of people with her lockdowns of the state. They were going to kidnap her and at, a, at her rural cabin. And this is the, this is the allegation. And they had put this plot together, and the FBI foiled them uh, right before they could carry it out. Well, just yesterday, uh, we had a court hearing <clears throat> in this case, and the judge threw out the motion by the defense, the defense for these uh, men who were arrested, threw out their motion to dismiss the case on grounds of entrapment. and. The way it was played in much of the media was that, well, see, this shows there was nothing to the case that has come out, that in the, in the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping case, a majority of the people involved have been shown to be FBI informants or actual agents. Uh, so on the night of the kidnap, in fact, uh, the government documents thus far show, and even the New York Times admitted two days ago, that uh, 14 individuals involved in the case were federal agents or informants or operatives of one kind or another. So you've seen cartoons where it shows guys pointing guns at each other, and one says, I'm an FBI agent, another one says, I'm, they're all, I'm undercover FBI, I'm undercover <laughs> That's actually what we, we see here. And the judge in throwing out the motion to dismiss on grounds of entrapment said this is something that needs to be determined by a jury in the case. And so, and, and that was probably a proper uh, ruling on his part. It's rare to have a case thrown out uh, based on entrapment pre-trial. But uh, it looks very much like the defense uh, will be able to overcome uh, the prosecution. In fact, because so many of the FBI agents and operatives were integral to every part of the plan, in fact, had led the plan Mm -hmm. in the plot to to take her over in terms of getting planning how they were going to do it driving the the actual surveillance vehicle driving the van that they were going to going to put her in all of the key individuals it turned out uh were undercover operatives and some of them actual agents uh of the FBI so it it seems like a pretty solid entrapment case and one of the issues of being able to mount a, an entrapment case is to show that the individuals were not predisposed to carrying out this activity. So, so, the, so the prosecution is saying, well, yeah, we have them in all kinds of statements uh, showing that they were uh, uh, planning, they were, would be willing to do this. So that's something that will have to be taken up in court. But it, it seems to me a pretty solid case for entrapment. And in, in, in which case, it, it would seem to argue very strongly that we wouldn't even have a plot if it hadn't been for uh, the FBI uh, pushing it forward.
Now, entrapment, from what I understand, has been pretty hard to um, to prove or to make a case for. I don't know the name of the case, but you may. There was um, years and years ago, there was a man, I believe he was from Utah or Arizona, and he pushed a fake bomb that was given to him by an informant. Does, does, does that rule, does that ring a bell? Yes. So uh, that was uh, probably the Viper militia case that you're referring to. However, we, we had a number of cases, uh, for instance, that we reported on extensively, for instance, in, in Georgia, where the agent provocateurs, uh, the federal agents, not only cooked up the, the plot for making pipe bombs, but they actually planted evidence on the uh, farm unknowing to the supposed conspirators. And this came out in the trial, and it showed that they not only uh, had tried to entice these guys into and entrap them in this, in this uh, plot, this pipe bomb plot, uh, but they also completely fabricated the evidence against them, planted it on their farm, and uh, so the, uh, it did blow up their case. And to your point, that was somewhat, uh, isn't that kind of what happened with the both Bundy cases? They found well, such, such misconduct among federal agents. Right. That, I mean, that so, so that's, so if you, if you go from the uh, Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping <laughs> We're case all and over start, the place. Going back, start going backwards, uh, we see many, many cases of uh, federal entrapment. And it has to uh, bring to mind a number of questions. Are there so few actual criminal and terrorist elements out there that the federal government needs to go and uh, create terrorist incidents uh, for the FBI and the Department of Justice and allow others to go free? We had, uh, for the last year and a half, riots all across the country. Right blowing up federal buildings, setting fire to federal buildings, Molotov cocktails, burning down uh, billions of dollars uh, worth of private and government uh, real estate businesses, etc. And the federal government has done very little about that. Uh, so, no, it is not a wild theory to uh, suppose that right now we have a federal government that is really pushing to criminalize anyone of the conservative so-called right-wing uh, political bent. And that's why we're living in a very dangerous time, because Nancy Pelosi and many members of Congress have said that they want to go after, first to expel from Congress everyone whom they say aided and abetted this insurrection. And they point to Congressman Jim Jordan, former Congressman and uh, Trump staffer Mark Meadows, and many other members of Congress who they say should be expelled from Congress and then prosecuted. I mean, and so they've been saying this now for, for the past year. So they want to criminalize anyone who challenged the 2020 elections. And uh, we, we see numerous headlines and statements about this, that those who challenged the elections, who participated in Trump's big lie, as they say, are also guilty 
of insurrection. And so this casts a huge net. So the Justice Department and the uh, House Select Committee on January 6th have issued tons of subpoenas for American citizens all across the country. If you uh, were at, in any way a, a supporter, notable supporter of President Trump, you're liable to get a, uh, a subpoena that all your telephone records, well, they've already subpoenaed. Uh, in fact, your telephone records may already have been turned over because they've subpoenaed many of the big mm -hmm. uh, telephone companies to turn over data. So. This is, uh, this is a huge dragnet, and it is very alarming development in the surveillance state, police state apparatus. And it portends very, very poorly for our, uh, our freedoms here in this country. In your article, you mentioned some of the, uh, some of the radical aspects of some of these folks in that committee. And you have particularly mentioned Jamie Raskin, who, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric, especially from, I guess, uh, from right-wingers, conservatives and whatnot about, you know, communists, this and that. But with Jamie Raskin, you make the point that this person actually has a communist background. Is that correct? Did I? Yeah. Well, let me be careful in stating this. But Jamie Raskin is the, uh, you know, the January 6th committee that was set up by Nancy Pelosi is set up as a political weapon. She says it is a bipartisan committee, mm -hmm. uh, but she did a, made an unprecedented move. When a, when a select committee or subcommittee is set up, each party gets to choose the members who go onto the committee. She refused to allow Jim Banks and Jim Jordan to be on the committee. This is unprecedented. Uh, Mark, uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy had appointed them to be on it. She said, no, they can't be on it. So he said, well, if you won't allow us to put our own members on the committee, uh, we're not going to participate. And th there's a very good reason why she did not want to have Jim Jordan and Jim Banks on there, because they had shown that they are very capable and can be uh, aggressive and assertive in committee hearings and ask very pertinent and probing questions, and she didn't want that. So what did they end up with? They ended up with the five, or excuse me, six Democrats on the, um, on the committee that she appointed, uh, and then Chairman Benny Thompson put in uh, from Mississippi, and then she put on her own two hand-picked Republicans, Republicans in name only. Mm -hmm. And she chose, of course, the two top haters of President Trump, the two liberal left rhinos, Liz Cheney and uh, Adam Kinzinger, uh, both of whom have been all over the media. They're darlings of the media, darlings of the Democrats, uh, because they have been denouncing President Trump and all of his supporters. So uh, we have a stacked committee and uh, Chairman Benny Thompson uh, has a long history. Uh, he is a, a pro-Castro. He's been over to, to communist Cuba uh, many times. He was praised by uh, Fidel Castro. Uh, he was put in as the chairman, in my opinion, uh, simply because it was going to advance the narrative that this was a, a white supremacist, racist insurrection. And he, being a, a black radical, uh, he had the right face to put on it. But the two people who were really running the the House committee, in my 
opinion are Adam Schiff, Adam Shifty Schiff, who is the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, and Jamie Raskin of Maryland. And Jamie Raskin has been taking the lead in much of this, as has as Adam Schiff. And they, of course, were two of the central players in the previous impeachment attempts against uh, Donald Trump. Jamie Raskin was the lead uh, prosecutor or the lead uh, manager in the latest January 6th impeachment that they held uh, earlier last year. And uh, Adam Schiff was the, was the lead prosecutor in the first impeachment trial. They have both been top examples of Trump derangement syndrome, uh, pushing to get rid of Trump even before he actually was sworn in. Uh, so they've been pushing these efforts to get rid of him. And this is just their latest. This is an extension of Adam Schiff and Jamie Raskin's Russia collusion conspiracy theory. Then they went on to the Ukraine. Uh, uh, Trump conspiracy theory and many others in between, and now they're now they're on this insurrection conspiracy theory. So they it, it's incontestable. I mean, it's very much in the public record that they are that they are hate Trump extremists uh, and far left extremists. But Jamie, Jamie Raskin has a uh, quite a left wing pro communist Marxist pedigree. Uh, he is the son of Marcus Raskin, who. Uh, was the founder or co-founder of the Institute for Policy Studies, among other things. The Institute for Policy Studies, the IPS, we have covered for several decades, uh, since the 1960s when it was founded. It has been characterized, and I think accurately so, by uh, many of the people who've been following it as the chief pro-Soviet, pro-Castro, pro-communist think tank and activist cell in Washington, D.C. And Marcus Raskin, uh, who founded it and uh, ran it for many years until his uh, death a few years ago, uh, has a long uh, time uh, record with communist fronts and working with various communist agents uh, from around the world. His son, Jamie, who is now in, in Congress, has also worked with the IPS and has appeared on, on their panels. And uh, the IPS uh, was the uh, center of uh, many investigations it, back during the 70s and 80s and uh, worked closely with many members of Congress as well as with foreign intelligence agencies. So uh, Jamie Raskin is uh, continuing on in that far left tradition, and he seems obsessed with gaining control uh, over the executive branch. He authored legislation uh, last year, uh, again, to uh, invoke the 25th Amendment. Now, you remember, uh, before they began the actual uh, impeachment efforts against President Trump, Nancy Pelosi, Jamie Raskin, and others tried to get Mike Pence and other members of the cabinet to remove President Trump by invoking the 25th Amendment and claiming that he is unfit for office. And they tried a number of ploys. And the 25th Amendment, uh, Article 4 of uh, the 25th Amendment, provides that if the vice president and a majority of the cabinet declare that the president is unable 
That is, it was put in there in case uh, the president is in a coma or has a stroke or has been shot or some uh, kind of thing happens and he is incapacitated, that then the cabinet, the vice president could uh, declare him unable and he would be uh, succeeded by the vice president. It did not, uh, and the guy who wrote the book on it uh, called the 25th Amendment, it pointed out uh, that it was not uh, for someone who is in unfit because of something they've done, because they've done some kind of mm -hmm. crime or because they have the wrong temperament or whatnot. That is to be decided by impeachment or by the voters. Uh, but it's, it's about inability unable to carry out the office, not unfitness as determined by some political factor. If you want to get political about it, and Jamie Raskin knows this, Nancy Pelosi knows this, they know they don't have any grounds under the 25th Amendment, but they want to keep floating that as a way to keep moving the narrative forward toward uh, not only removing Trump, but removing all and making sure he can't run again, because they've introduced legislation to keep him from running again, but also uh, to to purge from Congress all those other congressmen that they find problematical because they are they are so uh, fanatically concerned that in this 2022 midterm election they are going to completely lose power. Well, uh, you had mentioned several things that we certainly can't get to all of them, but I just want you to quickly touch before we wrap it up here on. Um, you had mentioned the, the the white supremacy, and that's another part of their crazy narrative that uh, I believe one of the terms they used was like white surrection or something. Uh, you want to comment on that really quick, and then we can... Well, yeah, I mean, that has come up over and over again, and we have <clears throat> uh, Hakeem Jeffries, uh, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, Congresswoman Cori Bush, one of the new stars of the left uh, who's uh, joined the squad, uh, one of the new congresswomen there, she has been very uh, vehement about this, claiming that this whole, uh, she claims this is a white supremacist insurrection, that she uses the term over and over again, this mm -hmm. is uh, a bunch of white extremists, and she says that we have to purge all these members of Congress uh, who in any way supported undermining the election. So you see what they're doing is conflating this violent activity, which if we put it in its proper context, yes, it was bad. Everyone who committed a crime there, who committed an act of violence, who destroyed property, should be charged and tried for those specific offenses. Uh, <clears throat> but they're trying to conflate those acts of violence and destruction with insurrection, and then conflating even more insurrection to where it includes anyone who opposed the elections and called it fraudulent, anyone who claimed that uh, the election was stolen, because they are enablers, as uh, Pelosi and others have said. So that is supposed to inclusively uh, bring all of them together uh, with uh, culpability in this in this event. And so it's a very slippery slope and a very dangerous one that they're trying to push us down. And uh, unfortunately, they have so much of the regime media uh, simply repeating all of these charges. And uh, 
that's why it's our job to uh, yeah. sift through this and bring out the facts. And and you got a you got a few stories coming out on this with a lot of the with a lot of this information and more in the New American, right? Right. We've had uh, quite a number online already, but in our our uh, print magazine, uh, we have uh, several coming out in the current issue and in the following issue. So yes, it's a continuing developing story and. Uh, we're grateful for all the people that are coming forward with uh, information. And fortunately, there are other uh, media, more conservative media out there that are digging into this. When we were doing some of the earlier stories on the Oklahoma City bombing and on uh, other subsequent stories, much of the rest of the conservative media was afraid to touch them. And this time, there's lots of people out there digging uh, up the information, and we're we're seeing some very important uh, material come out that wouldn't have made it uh, made it to the light of day otherwise. Well, that's encouraging. Um, I know this isn't like a black or white question, but where do you see this going? Are they going to try to get more indictments, or is this thing going to fall apart before they keep pushing this false narrative? Well, it will fall apart. I, I'm pretty confident if uh, we keep digging and and pushing this forward because people are going to see that their story about this massive uh, conspiracy insurrection uh, is, is threadbare. They really don't have uh, any story there. The pe as we've said, the people who committed crimes there, uh, whether they were just got carried away and did it, or whether they premeditated uh, they were going to do this and and did it there, or whether they were agent provocateurs, uh, they should be prosecuted. And particularly, it's going to be interesting. The evidence looks pretty strong that there were a large number of agent provocateurs there at the event, causing uh, and leading much of this effort. So that is very important because we we, there is enough problem. There are enough problems in our country without government agents stirring up more of it, and so this is going to be very, uh, very telling. I think. Well, Bill Jasper, thank you so much for for joining me, and we'll have to get you back on. There's plenty we didn't touch on, including um, those folks in solitary confinement. But we're going to save that for another episode. So thank you for all your hard work uh, that you do. And thank you for joining us on Freedom is the Cure. Thank you, Paul. Well, folks, thank you for tuning in to Freedom is the Cure. And uh, while we don't have an action project or legislative alert specifically related to January 6th, we have items to help make sure that our elected legislators are men and women who value the Constitution, as well as those that would secure our elections. The Congressional Scorecard, for example, tracks the voting records of everyone in Congress, and it's a critical tool to help voters prevent un-American legislators from getting elected and being part of committees that make important decisions. And there's our Restore Election Integrity Action Project, which focuses on election vulnerabilities and solutions to them. We got links in the description below to both of these. And if you haven't already done so, apply for membership in the JBS and become part of a large army of patriots fighting to restore America. Thanks for tuning in. And remember that whatever ails society, freedom is the cure.